Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Good morning. You know, we started our journey through the Psalms last week on this pathway of discovery. God is leading us through this very season. And so last week in Psalm 1, we talked about how the blessed person will delight in God's word and will be like a tree planted by the streams of water, soaking up the fresh water of the spirit and producing fruit in season. Now, this is a tough season right now. And I wanted to remind you that as your roots go down deeply in the Lord, that it might look dark for a time. And I want you to realize that God is not burying you. He's actually planting you. Even though things look dark, God's planting you. And the healthiest trees have deep roots in the ground where you can't see them, but God is working. God is working even if you can't see it. Now, sometimes the prayers I say during dark times are like this. God, please take these bad things away. But God's answer, at least to me, often is, I'm going to give you the strength to endure. Maybe that's what God is speaking to you today. You know, the psalmist last week was asking us to take a step of faith by delighting in God's law even before he could see the fruit. So to believe in God's faithfulness, even though we cannot see the growth that he's doing underground, that is the way of the blessed and faithful man and woman of God. So would you join me in trusting, trusting that God is, is at work, trusting that even though we cannot see the fruit right now, that God is working towards that end. So would you please join me in a prayer? Lord, help us to see your glory today. You are King Jesus, and we belong to you. And we want to know, Lord, as our roots go down deep, that you have not let us go, that we are actually feeding on you, on your word, on your ways, that you would give us the faith to know that there will be a season where the fruit will grow. There will be a season we will return together. There will be a season where we will be joyfully joining back together, worshiping you in one room. But until that time, Lord, give us faith that you are present with us and help us to hear your word today. Lord, thank you, King Jesus. Help us to see you and hear you clearly. In your name we pray, amen. Now, as we talk about Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, I want to let you know that together they form this introduction to the following 148 Psalms. Now, Psalm 1 implores the individual to submit to the word of the Lord, while Psalm 2 actually speaks to the nations, warning them that their rebellion will only lead to destruction and that God's kingdom cannot be thwarted. There is only one king And all the other kings must answer to this one true king. Not just the earthly king of Israel, but ultimately God's own son, the anointed one, the Messiah king to come. So in fact, all 150 Psalms, if you take them as a whole, they proclaim that the Lord reigns as king. Look for that theme as you read and meditate in each Psalm. 
The fact that God is in control even when your life seems chaotic. That you see when God is your king, it changes everything. That means you're not facing loneliness right now by yourself. God, your king is with you. You're not facing your very real financial worries by yourself. God, your king, is with you. See, the king will not abandon you. See, Psalm 1 calls us to delight in him. And Psalm 2 exhorts us to bow down to him. What we're saying is put your trust in this king. Now, Psalm 2.6 specifically says, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Now, Psalm 2 is the language describing the royal ceremony, actually, of a new king where God's king has power over all the kingdoms of the earth. And then Psalm 2, verse 1, asks this question, Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? You know, if you watch too much TV, like sometimes I do, too much bad news, studies will show that it actually will increase your anxiety. I know, that happens to me when I watch too much bad news. Fear will become your king if you're feasting on all this bad news. And so take a break. Why don't we feast and meditate on God's good word? In the midst of all the reality of tough times, it, it is. But instead of feasting on all the bad, let's feast on God's word. And so that means that God still reigns and you can take refuge in him. In the midst of the very real bad news, we're feasting on his word. We're recognizing the presence of the king. You see, when you became king back in those days, there were nations that wanted to test out this new king to challenge him. And so the context is that God is seen as installing the king over Israel in Zion, and Zion was another way of talking about Jerusalem in particular. And the foreign hostile kings are conspiring. And the psalmist says, be warned, God will take care of his king. And verse 2 says that the nations are rebelling against the Lord and his anointed and then the anointed, that word comes from the Hebrew word for Messiah. You know that word, Messiah. And so what we see in Psalm 2, it's likely referring to a coronation ceremony during Israel's royal history where kings would ascend the throne. Take a look at Psalm 2, verse 7. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. You see, God blessed the people by bestowing power on his king. That was a blessing. And God calls this king his son. So the act of begetting implies a sacred and a legal action declaring sonship. That this king is my family, God says. That this king has a special relationship as God's own son. See, but God is simultaneously rebuking the rebellion in verses 1 through 5 by installing his son as king. See, God is reminding those outside of his kingdom that without the installed king leading your life, you'll be lost. You'll be dust. There's no workaround. You need God's own installed chosen king, his own son. See, Psalm 2 became this prophetic psalm during the exile of the Jews. 
This exile and this time they were awaiting the true king who would come. And even as they returned to their land, they longed for the Messiah, the anointed one, the one whose rule would bring something good out of, uh, out of all their bad misfortune. They were looking for some good news from this Messiah. How we need Psalm 2 today, right? Because there is a king who enters into our lives as we long for a better world. We long for good news. We long to see God's light. Psalm 2, we have God calling this king his anointed, also calling him my king, my son, and be God. And at the end of Psalm 2, God tells the world to kiss the son, kiss this king in reverence. You know, this is the only place in the entire Old Testament, the entire Hebrew scriptures where God's Messiah, God's King, and God's Son have all spoken of in one place. Psalm 2. It's the only spot. See, the Messianic Psalms usually have two references. The immediate historical context of the person writing the psalm, but then also a second ultimate reference of a greater king to come the Messiah. And of course, when you read Psalm 2 with me today, we Christians, we cannot help but think about Jesus. We cannot help but think about the anointed Son of God, the King of heaven and earth, whom all will bow down to and will kiss his feet in reverence and worship one day. You see, Psalm 2 does not paint a picture of Jesus who's just a prophet or merely an enlightened spiritual human being or just an earthly ruler. No, way more than that. He is the king of all creation who will come back one day to embrace everybody who has chosen to bow down to him as king. Psalm 2 was painting a very clear picture of the greatness of King Jesus as well. You know, you're going to see why Psalm 2 was so prominent throughout the New Testament. Mark 1, verse 11, and Matthew 3, verse 17, God says this about Jesus, this is my son. Sound familiar? Echoes of Psalm 2, right? See, this is the true king that the Jews have been waiting for, bringing light in their darkness in the midst of the Roman Empire's oppression. They needed the good news of the Messiah to come. They needed the good news of the Messiah in the midst of the dead religion of the temple. They needed good news. In Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31, the early church raises their voices, quoting Psalm 2, and they went out preaching Jesus as the Christ, the anointed one, with great boldness amidst harsh oppression. Psalm 2 was their songbook. Psalm 2 fed their souls. And then lastly, in Revelation chapter 2, chapter 11, chapter 19, they all reference Psalm 2 again, encouraging persecuted Christians that Jesus the King would return to bring his victory and welcome the faithful into his kingdom of peace. So keep in mind that Psalm 2 that the entirety of the Psalms were the scriptures that Jesus read. So not just Psalm 2, but all of the Psalms. That the songs that Jesus sung were from the Psalms. The prayers that Jesus prayed were from the Psalms. And so Jesus certainly learned these Psalms as a good Jewish boy. And also as a good Jewish rabbi. He knew these Psalms by heart. And he sang them as he worshipped in the synagogue and worshipped in the temple. 
But imagine this, that Jesus knew the Psalms were talking about him. Particularly these Messianic Psalms. While refuting Jewish leaders who questioned his authority. And even while on the cross, Jesus quoted Psalms time and time again. When Jesus spoke and sang the Psalms, he knew they were talking about him. And he told others that the Psalms were actually all about him as well. So he is this great king, God himself, who has come to give us life so that you could find life. Jesus knew these Psalms were talking about him, and he wants you to know the Psalms as well because we need them today as our prayer book, our song book, our guide in this season. You know, Jesus says also in the New Testament, I am the door, I am the good shepherd. Specifically in John 10, verse 9, he tells you why he wants to be your king. He says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus wants to be your king because he wants to bring you abundant life. He doesn't need you, you need him. So I want to tell you three things that I think Psalm 2 is teaching us to have this abundant life. He's telling us, I think, in Psalm 2, to be a servant of the king, to stay in awe of the king, and take refuge in the king. First of all, to be a servant of the king. Psalm 2, verse 11 says, serve the Lord with fear. So as we revere this king, we will want to serve him. As we come with fear and awe before the Lord, our natural inclination will be that we want to be part of serving him in his kingdom. There's a story that the year was 1930. It was the year of the Naval Conference in London. King George was to address the opening session. Radio, keep in mind, was in its infancy, but through it, the king's message was to be carried throughout the world. However, just before the king was to go on on the air, a young engineer discovered a broken wire in the transmitter. There was no time for repairs, and the world was waiting to hear the message of the king. So the young engineer thought of a quick solution. He took a broken wire in one hand and a piece of broken wire in the other hand, and for 15 minutes, he held them together And he took 250 volts of electricity through his body so that the king's broadcast could be heard throughout the world. And it was. So I want to ask you, are you willing to be a conduit for the king's message? Are you willing to serve him, whatever it takes? Will you allow the king's message to be broadcast through you? Will you extend your hand towards the resources of God and extend your hand toward those in need and then bring them together? Keep serving the Lord in this season. Stand in the gap knowing that the king, he's coming. This past week in our local paper, the Pinecone, it highlighted our church. It quoted me saying how we've gotten our services and ministries online, but how we can't wait to get back together once we're allowed to safely do so. But the article also talked about the Bauer family raising funds and distributing over thousands, tens of thousands of masks in Monterey County. It mentioned our own artist Simon Bull using his gifts to show the beauty of our king. 
And it mentioned the querying family and all their efforts, cooking and delivering meals with other helpers from our church to show our community the kindness of our king. And perhaps you are serving your family or serving your neighbors amidst the very real struggles of this stay-at-home order. Keep using your hands and to connect the goodness of God and connect it to a very real need and stand in the gap. And show the world how we serve a good God, how we serve a good king. So this week, choose to give hope. Show the beauty of the king with an act of love. Secondly, Psalm 2 teaches us to stay in awe of the king. Psalm 2.11 says, rejoice in trembling. Wow, rejoice, but tremble in your rejoicing. You know, we ooh and we awe if we see a celebrity person in town. How much more if we ever glimpsed our heavenly king? If we got a little tiny glimpse of God's greatness, we would fall down on the ground. You know, for those who love the Lord, the fear of the Lord is really in awe of his greatness. I love how A.W. Tozer says it. He says, in my own being, I could not exist very long as a Christian without the inner consciousness of the presence and nearness of God. I can only keep right by keeping the fear of God on my soul and delighting in the fascinating rapture of worship. I'm sorry that the powerful sense of godly fear is a missing quality in churches today. There are few unqualified things in our lives, but I believe that the reverential fear of God mixed with love and fascination and astonishment and adoration is the most enjoyable state and the most purifying emotion the human soul can know. A true fear of God is a beautiful thing, for it is worship, it is love, it is veneration, it is a high moral happiness because God is See, Tozer speaks of a healthy fear filled with awe. I think God gives us glimpses of his greatness if we'll pay attention. You know, the great photographer Ansel Adams once said, sometimes I do get to places just when God's ready to have somebody click the shutter. I want you to consider these reasons to be in awe of God. These are just a handful have you ever marveled at a rainbow or one of God's tiny creatures or a sunset or an ocean view or a delicate flower? His majestic mountains, God's great beast, his morning welcome, and his evening sunset. All of these things pointing to his glory. And see, these wonders are just a tiny glimpse of his infinite glory that causes us to rejoice in trembling, as Psalm 2 says. Be in awe of him. Make time today to relish in his beauty. See, this is the king who made every majestic thing, and he also made you. He has his eyes on you right now. Lastly, Psalm 2 teaches us to take refuge in the king. Psalm 2.12 says, Blessed are those who take refuge in him. If you remember Psalm 1 last week, it began with the word of blessedness. And Psalm 2 
ends with the same word in Hebrew of blessedness. You see, in this season of uncertainty, you can be assured you can happily take refuge in the king. So let me ask you, what or whom makes you feel secure? What is your refuge? If your main refuge is your significant other, then if he or she fails you, you'll be crushed by disappointment. Or if your refuge is being loved by your children, what happens when they're ungrateful? Which happens on occasion, right? Or what happens when they outgrow you? Which is inevitable. We're crushed if we put all of our hopes in our children. Or maybe achievement is your kind of refuge. Well, then you're going to get depressed when you can't acquire, when you can't succeed, when you can't impress. What's your refuge? See, if you find your refuge in King Jesus, you'll finally feel at home. You can finally rest. See, I'm going to invite you this week to spend time with the Lord. Just take some time to spend it in refuge with him. I invited you last week to memorize Psalm 1. So maybe perhaps when you wake up each morning this week, take a minute and meditate on Psalm 1. Maybe you memorize Psalm 1, verse 1, 2, and 3, or maybe just one of those verses. Sit in silence and think about and meditate and chew on God's word as you take refuge in the God who wakes up with you. See, happy are those who take refuge in him. Spend some quiet time with him this week. If you already have a quiet time routine, maybe add the memorization of Psalm 1 to it. Meditate on God's goodness, his awe, the beauty of him. Take refuge in the king. So let me ask you again, are you treating Jesus as your king or are you taking refuge in other kings, other securities? You will spend eternity with whatever you find refuge in. Think about that. Jesus says take refuge in him. Start practicing now what you'll be doing for eternity. Live for him today. You'll find he's a safe and strong and secure refuge for you, unlike every other false refuge. I know most of you have seen Disney's The Lion King, the animated version, the old one that I've seen, or the new one that just came out. It tells the story of a young lion cub, Simba, who is a son of the great Lion King. But Simba runs away when his father is killed, and this young cub, Simba, he's made to feel responsible. And away from his family's kingdom, he forgets who he really is. He forgets he's a great Lion King. And then at one point in the story, his dead father appears to him in a vision. And as he talks with his dead father, Simba refuses to listen to him. His father says, you need to go home. He says, no, you don't know. I'm not worthy. Then his father says this, remember who you are. He had to remember He was the son of a king. You know, when I was lost in a depression for a couple years, I found refuge in many things that promised they would make me feel better, but they didn't. For a little bit they did, but eventually all the good I felt would waste away. It wasn't until I took refuge in King Jesus that I finally felt I was home that I could finally have peace, that I could finally have rest. 
All the other things gave me temporary refuge, but only Jesus gave me a refuge that could never be taken away. It was a refuge that I didn't have to work for. It was gifted to me. This peace and security and salvation. You can have that same refuge if you've never invited Jesus to be your king. He is waiting for you right now, wherever you are, to say yes to him. Lord, forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for taking refuge in these other things, even good things that become ultimate things that take place of you, King Jesus. Forgive me. Enter into my life. I will follow you, my good king. And he says, you will find refuge in him. Oh, let us know if you've done that. Email us, call us. We want to pray with you, walk with you in that. Or maybe you're someone, you've been coming to church for a long time, but you needed to have a talk with Jesus because you forgot that he was your king. Maybe he was one of many refuges in your life. Well, he wants the prominent number one place in your life. You know, Pastor Tim Keller says it this way. Jesus is the only Lord that when you give your life to him will fulfill you completely. And when you fail him, he'll still forgive you eternally. See, Jesus doesn't want you to treat him like your assistant or just another good example of how to live a good and moral life or a life coach, right? Jesus is so much more than that. He wants to be your king. He wants to be your savior. And so take refuge in the true king, not the false refuges, not the false kings, In Jesus Christ, you'll never be rejected. You'll always be secure. Be in awe of this king, the creator of the universe who has his loving eye on you. Choose to serve this king while you still have breath in your lungs. Every day belongs to him. So remember who you are. You are a child of this king. You will bow down one day to him. Let's choose to do it today. Let's choose to worship him now. Remember you have royal status. Remember he's the only one worthy of bowing down to you, the child of the king. Would you pray with me? God, we come this morning with so many different emotions, so many different thoughts. But Lord, my prayer by the power of your spirit, that something that was said this morning, a a line from a song, an image on the screen, showed people your greatness showed people your goodness, showed people that you are a refuge that is worthy to be trusted. And so, God, we come to you bowing down, asking for forgiveness, bowing down, thanking you for your grace, bowing down and worshiping you with reverence and with joy because you're so beautiful. And you've given me breath in my lungs to serve you to be part of your mission. Oh, Lord, help me to stand in the gap, to be a blessing this week because I find my refuge in you. I'm safe and secure and I can reach out to others. Oh, Lord, teach us the Psalms. Show us this path, this journey as we sing the songs that Jesus sang, as we prayed the prayers that Jesus prayed. Make us more like him, this great and good and kind king. And in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org. 
or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.